Good morning, everyone. I'm very happy to be with you this morning. And uh, it's a special day for me being here at Westside uh, for another time. And this morning, I would like to dive with you in one of the most famous verse uh, on the planet, on the Bible. It is a text of John 3.16. This is the best known verse because it sums up uh, the, the heart of God, the intention of God, the situation of human being, you and me and the solution of God. You know, there's a mistake that most Christians do when reading this text. It's to believe that this is a really good text for non-believers. And this is true, it's a really good text for them, for the one who are not yet giving their life or decide to follow Christ. But it's also a really important text for us, you, me, and others who have made a choice to follow Jesus. So I'm encouraging you this morning to, to Open your heart and listen to what the Spirit wants to tell you through this famous text of John 3.16. First, I will put it in context. John 3.16 is in chapter 3, of course, of John, Gospel of John. And it is in this text that Jesus meets with Nicodemus. Nicodemus was a religious leader who was touched by Jesus and decided to come to see him, but at night, to be sure that nobody was looking to him. And he started to talk with Jesus. He said, Master, you say so many good things. And Jesus talked with him about new birth. Not an improvement or not trying to be better, but a transformation from something that it's not in you, but something that's coming from outside of you. That's coming not from you, but from God. So for, to read the text, we're going to read the text before verse 16, the famous 3.16, and after the verse after. We're going to start at verse 14. That says, Just as Moses lift up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of the Man must be lift up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. That's his, or 3.16 now. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. And the following verse now, for God did not send, send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. In the preceding verses, Jesus himself make a link with a situation with Moses in the desert. This text, this situation, it's in Numbers 21, where there was snake everywhere and people who were bitten by the snake, were dying. It wasn't a snake bite my neighbors yesterday. That was the normal day life. There were snakes everywhere in this situation. They were inviting by snakes. And everybody who, who was bite by the snake were dying. And this snake was the result of people rejecting God, deciding to go, I don't need to say, I don't need God anymore. I want to go in my own way. So when those snakes were coming and going, their legs and everywhere, they, the people asked to Moses, intercede to God. To, we want to be saved, be healed, be delivered of that. And here, the answer of God. Numbers 21. The Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it on the pole. Anyone who is bitten, bitten, I'm never sure, uh, can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake 
and put it on the pole. And when anyone was bitten by a snake and look at the brown snake, they lived. This is the answer of God. So the venom or the poison of the snake brought them to, to death. And they were everyone. So probably people were doing what they always learned to do. So somebody will, will, uh, will suck the venom out and spit it out. Or some other will put some herbs that will absorb the venom to be healed, to be delivered of that. But that wasn't working. God gave them an unexpected solution. Which may seem irrelevant for the people. Absurd. But there was only one solution that God gave them. And Jesus make a link between that and John 3.16. Anyone in this situation had to look at the snake. No other option. Likewise, everyone who looks to Jesus will be safe. No other option. So we are going to unpack 3.16, John 3.16. It begins by God so loved the world. Jesus starts by, he wants to make us know that God loves me, loves you, loves the world so much. A deep love. A love for this world. He loved this world so much, so deep. Nobody will never love you and me like God loves us. There's nothing we can do or have done or will do that will separate it from this love of God. Nothing. So love the world. Include everyone, you and me. Believers, non-believers, colleagues, neighbors, family, those ones who don't have the same value than you, than me. No one will never love you like God loves you. Do you believe that? That God loves you that much. And the way God wants to show you how much he loves you, the way God manifests his love is that he gives. He doesn't give a technique. He doesn't give a moral code to follow, a lot, principle to follow, good advice. He gives Jesus. The way God manifests his love, want to show you his love for you, he gives Jesus. The only solution for what your heart longs for. Jesus, the manifestation, the, the, the manifestation of God's love for this suffering world. There's no plan B for your life and for this world. 316 continued that whoever believes in him, that means that there's not everyone who benefits this solution of God. There's a choice to make, need to be made. That's of believing, looking to the cross, looking to what Jesus has done, the solution of God, Jesus that God gave. Believing, not only just believing that Jesus exists, but is God's solution for me, for you, for all aspects of my life. Believing means faith. The place I put my trust. What I believe will motivate my action, my behaviors, my feelings. 
My thought will need, will feed what I believe. My thought will feed what I believe. And this will define my action, my behavior, and my feeling. Listen to that. All of my action and feelings are driven by what I truly believe in my heart of hearts. So what I believe becomes very important. It always comes down to what I believe. Where I put my trust, my faith. The object of my faith will lead me to life or to death. And the text says, whoever believes in him. Everyone is believing in something. Everyone, you and me, put their trust, their hope in something for their peace, their security, their worth, their self-esteem, their identity. Like my abilities, my family, my wealth, my personality, my relationship, my success. Everybody Everybody believes in something to fill their heart and to have a better future. Like people in the story with Moses and the snake, to what they used to do when they were bitten by snake, you and I and everyone have developed some place, some, some habits, some tendency to get out of trouble when some situations were coming to us, to be healed. To be delivered, to be safe when we were facing those situations. We need to recognize where are those places I, I have the tendency to put my trust. God gave us Jesus. The Bible talks a lot about repentance. We have read a text just before saying, The kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. Repent from some things. So repentance, it's, it's, it's not a change of behavior. It's a, firstly a change of mentality, a change of way of thinking. Repentance is not primarily a change of behavior. It's primarily a change in what I believe that will produce a change of behaviors, what will produce a change in my feelings. Repentance is not about what I do. It's about what I believe. I should admit that I don't believe the right thing. I admit that I put my trust on the wrong thing. And I change what I believe. This is repentance. And it will change my feelings and behaviors. Or texts say that I need to change what I believe to start to believe the solution of God. Jesus. We'll come back to that later. 316 continue. Shall not perish, but life. Shall not perish. So it means there's, there's a possibility to perishing, of perishing. There's a verse for, that we read following 3.16. It's 3.17. says, For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. But to be saved from what? You know, you and I, we have been created to be in a relationship with God, to live with Him. We are shaped to live connected. We are wired like that. We cannot live without Him. We are dependent. We have been shaped, wired to be dependent of God, to live healthy. L like we have some other dependency in our life that are essential to our life, like water, air, food. We are also being created, shaped, that we need to, to depend on God, to have the real life, to live healthy. 
being in a relationship with God is one of this essential, these essential of life. We don't have what it needs in, in us to live properly, healthy, according to what we are supposed to live. What would happen if I no longer want to have water? I will dry out. Other symptoms, and eventually I will die. Food, I'm going I'm to uh, getting weaker. Stomach pain, other problems, and I will, eventually I will die. If I don't have hair, I'm choking, I'm panicking, I will panic. Eventually I will die. If I don't have God, I look all around for resource, for reasons, for, for, for option, all trust, all kind of other things. I will struggle, eventually I will die. We have been created like that. We are shaped and wired like that. And God, tell, God tells us that this relationship with him that we have been created for have been broken. And he also tells us solution. A solution, but the solution. Someday, one day say, no God, I don't agree with you. I don't need food anymore to live. He won't survive. But human bring, and he said, God said, we need this relationship with him. We have been created and wired like that. And one day a human being say, no, I don't want to depend on you. I don't want you. I want to go my own way, decide my own choice. And I don't want to follow anybody except me. I, have, I, I want to, my own way of seeing life and my own way of deciding what is good or bad for me. But human being doesn't have in him what he needs to survive. Proverbs 14 say, there's a way that appears to be right for human beings. The end, it leads to death. Like Jesus was saying to the economists, the solution is not coming from in you, in us. It's coming from God. So there's consequences when we, we don't have a relationship with God. It's a constant quest for identity. It needs to find value in what we have or what we accomplish. A thirst that is never quenched. Feelings of shame, guilt. This is not what God wants for you, for me. And Jesus came on earth. God came on earth in the person of Jesus. And going on the cross, bore that debt that we're supposed to go through. Which was the consequence of my and your broken relationship. He has conquered that. He has victory over that. And it is this life that is in him that he offers us. This is what God is doing when he gives the Jesus. He gives Jesus with his life in him. Jesus is the life, the Bible says. And it's allow us to be restored in our relationship with God. I'm not living my life to try to get victory. I am living my life from the victory of Jesus. That we may not perish. This salvation that God is giving to us is not just a ticket for heaven. It's not just for our afterlife. It's not just, it is also for today, for our everyday life, for what you're going through now in your situation. You know, the word in the New Testament has been translated by different words sometimes, mainly three. Save sometimes is talking about this separation with God for, for the eternity in heaven. But it's also translated by heal, be healed. Heal from disease or deep wounds. And sometimes it's translated by deliverance. Deliver from our false hope or dependency that keep us slave. God wants to save you, 
to heal you, to deliver you. The world is looking for place to put their hope. Way that will make them feel that they are somebody. They, they word something. We have learned to put our hope on those things for our security, for sense of identity and value. But those things like appearance, success, finance, family, abilities, wealth, will never produce what we are looking for deeply. You know, I call them pseudo-saviors or false saviors. The Bible calls them idols. We tend to rely on these false saviors to bring us what we are longing for, to fill our heart. And heaven, heaven, if one day you or me choose to follow Jesus, to put our trust in Jesus, we have this natural tendency to go back to those false saviors. We have the tendency to go back, to put ourselves back under the yoke of these false saviors. And the majority of the epistle of the New Testament, Paul, Peter, are talking about that. In every epistle, or their epistle, this tendency that human beings have to go back to those false saviors. And when we go back to this false savior, we do not lose our relationship with God, but we deprive ourselves from God's promises. We deprive ourselves of seeing the power of God in action. The false saviors in whom we can sometimes put our hopes always end up destroying us and preventing us from taking the promise of God. Growing in faith is learning to recognize those false saviors in our life and learning to put our faith and trust in Jesus only. That we shall not perish. May not perish, may not be destroyed because of insecurity, dependency, torment, worries, shame, guilt, need to perform, need of recognition to feel value. But we may, may we live freedom, be saved, be healed, delivered from our insecurity, need to perform, to be loved, need to, of recognition to feel value, delivered from our false saviors. May our joy peace and rest no longer depend on these things. We no longer have to be slaves of those false saviors. This is what means to be saved. Access to the presence of God. But have the eternal life. John 16 continue. Have eternal life. It means to have this life which is in God. This life for which we are we have been created. This life we exist for. This life we long for. You know that John used the expression eternal life, but the other author of the New Testament used this expression much less. He used another one. In fact, John used uh, the expression eternal life two times more than all the other author of the, the, God, the New Testament together. All the other authors together, John used the expression eternal life two times more. The other author, author often used to refer to the same concept of eternal life, the expression presence of God, kingdom of God, kingdom, kingdom of heaven. 
So they do not perish, but have eternal life means that they have the life of the kingdom of God. They have access to the presence of God. They have access to the privilege of the presence of God. They have access to the riches of the presence of God. They have access to the power that comes with the presence of God. That they may have access to the life they are created for. We have been created for. And we are not just talking about the afterlife, but today. In what you're going through now. Despite the situation. You know, God doesn't want, uh, just want people who are forgiven. He wants people who flourish. Who experience deliverance. Experience transformation and freedom. You know, people sometimes confuse the gospel with the fruit of the gospel. Going to visit the sick, helping the poor, or even go and talk about Jesus to somebody is not the gospel. They are the fruit of the gospel. While fruits are really important and essential to bring help around us, this is not what brings the restoration between people and God. The gospel is, let me give you a, 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 a definition here. The gospel is God who expresses his grace, love, and forgiveness towards us through the life, death, and the resurrection of Christ, which allow us to be restored in our relationship with God, to experience the action of the Holy Spirit in us, which bring us to live the restoration, deliverance, and transformation in the image of Jesus. Together, his body, the church. This is the good news. This is what transformed lives. This is what Jesus did. This is the message that you and I are carrying. Is the gospel a good news for you? This is God's solution for you. And for a world that he loves so much. You know, Paul spent a lot of time in the church of Corinthian, uh, Corinth, the Corinthian church. And he said that, by the gospel, you are saved, deliver, heal. If you owe firmly to it, and this is the gospel, that Christ died for our sin according to the scripture, that he was buried and was raised on the third day according to the scripture. This is the gospel. And just a few verses later, he said, Without this message, Jesus on the cross, dead and resurrected, there's no more hope. There's no hope. In the story of Moses with the snake hanging on the pole, the people who suffer from the snake poison had to know God's solution. Someone had to tell them. It was important that those who were experiencing healing and deliverance, those who were saved, support those who had been bitten, who didn't know the solution, or didn't have the strength to look at the right place. It is our role to help people say, hey, look, look what Jesus has done. This is the solution of God. When we deeply grasp the power of this gospel, the good news of Jesus. It allows us to experience the perfect joy, the profound peace, the satisfaction and confidence that each of us and the world around are looking for.
Let me say that in a different way. If I take John 3, 16, 16, who is God? God loved me so much. This is who he is. He's a God of love. He loves me so much. His love is, is profound and deep for me. What he did? He gave Jesus. He gives Jesus dead and risen to restore my relationship with him. When I understand that I exist to be in a relationship with God, as my body needs air, food, or water, and that Jesus, through his death and resurrection, made that possible. When I put my trust on that, I believe that. When I change the way of thinking, I change where I was putting my hope, my false savior, to believe what God says, who he is, and what he has done. This is what the Bible says about who I am now. I am forgiven. I have a place with God. I am a new creation. I am a child of God. Chris himself is in me. I receive the mind of Christ. I am a dwelling place of the, the Holy Spirit. I am the light of the world. I receive the power of God. I am loved by God. I am the masterpiece of God. I have direct access to God. I can approach God with freedom and confidence. And we can go on and, and on. And I am a member of the family of God. I am a participant of divine nature. I am risen with Christ. I'm a saint. I'm Jesus' friends. All these truths are affirmation that God is telling us. And how do I know that I can believe that and trust God on that? That he said that? That he, it's really that? The cross. The death and resurrection of Christ. By the cross, we see the greatness of his love for me, for each of us. He showed us the power he got by raising Jesus from the dead, coming alive again. He has show, shown how far he is willing to go for you. The cross. This is how much he loves you. How much power he got. Now, because I'm all that what I said, that the Bible say, that God's, because I'm restoring my relationship with God, now I can experience love like I never experienced it. Joy, perfect joy, peace, this peace that surpasses all intelligence, patience, which overcome everything, goodness, kindness, faithfulness, forgiveness, self-control, true rest, generosity, confidence, and we can continue, security, courage, integrity, and even more. Is all those things on the right side, those fruits, is that a good news? Yes, of course. This is a very good news. I can go through that and experience that now. But what allows me to experience that? It is the love of God that is manifest by Jesus on the cross, what he has done, that make me a children, a children of God. But if I tell people, you have to be happy, kind, patience. You have to love. You have to be generous. You have to, to give away. Is that a good news? No. But they are all biblical value. But if I tell them you have to be that, experience those feelings, those behaviors, without directing them to the one who can produce that in them, it's a burden. We put a burden on people that will, they will never be able to, to carry. 
The gospel is not good advice, a moral to follow. A cut of, it's like a beautiful lifestyle. It's not something that I have to do. It's something that has been done for me, for you. It's something that I put my trust in. And this is what Jesus has done on the cross, which is enough. Jesus has done everything. Or part, believe. Believing. All my action and feeling will be the result of what I believe. You live with fears? God gives you Jesus. You, have, you, you are insecure or you live with worries? God gives you Jesus. You are exhausted from having to perform? God gives you Jesus. You have been humiliated. You have a, an esteem problem. God gives you Jesus. What the difference the cross make in your life? Keep looking to Jesus. Remaining in Christ. What that mean? Looking to Jesus. Second Corinthians say, We demolish arguments and every pretension that set itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take captive every thought to make it obedient to Christ. So we demolish every argument or every pretension that set itself against the knowledge of God. So when I got a thought, and I, I, I used to say, okay, this is my, that will save me from this situation, the habits I develop in my life. I take that and, and I bring, I stop it. Making every thought obedient or captive means I stop this thought. This way of thinking, I, I, I limit it, I take control over it, I restrict it, and I expose it to what God is saying. What God is saying. And I don't keep it with pride. I'm ready to repent and expose it to what Christ is saying. What God is saying, I am because of Christ. And I decide to follow what Christ is saying. Not this thought that always developed in my life. Be sure that your way of thinking, it's in line with what God is saying. All my action and feeling are the result of what I believe. So I take my thought, I expose to what Christ is saying. Let me give you a, share with you a story. I used to be in business. I was in business for 20 years. I was an interior design. It was an interior design business with plants and, and, and trees. And so offices, restaurant, hotel, or shopping center were calling me to create a new design. Like Fairview Point Clear here, they were my customer to design the place and put the trees and the palms inside. And one day a man that I knew for a long time uh, called me and asked me to create a new design for 25 of his restaurant. You know this restaurant. So I sat down at my table and worked for a proposal. And a few days after, I went to see him and show him my proposal. And he was thrilled uh, with my offer. But he said, you're going to have to do that under the table. I don't know if you say that. You say that? Oh, black market, you know? And I say, mm, no, <laughs> I won't do that. And he knew I was Christian. And he, you know, he said, oh, Patrice, you're, you're a nice guy. You're really nice. And, but you're stupid. And he started yelling at me, calling me with many names. And he asked me to leave. He said, you lost the contract. It was a good Good contract, <laughs> 25 restaurant to design. And, and so I left. I picked up my thing, really surprised, and I left and went outside. And he came, he ran to me, he asked me to come back inside, and he signed the contract. A few weeks later, I was at the first restaurant that we had to set up with the plants, and there were all kinds of workers there. Construction guy, electrician, carpenter, plumber, 
painters, you know, all those tough guys of constructions. And I was there with four or five of my employees, set up the plants, and uh, they were calling us the florists, you know, the carpenter, plumber, painter, electrician, we were the small florists. That's okay, it was like that. And at one point, the owner of the restaurant arrived at the restaurant with two of his friends, and he came, they came to me. And the owner asked me, hey, Patrice, come, we just come to get you, come with us, we're going to the topless bar there to have just some fun and uh, have a beer together. And uh, I, t- I told him, no, I won't go. He replied, it is again because of your Christian thing? You cannot have fun anymore? I told him, you know, a few years ago, somebody gave me a small book, the Bible. And the message in that book impact my life and fulfill my life. And yes, I have a lot of fun. Then he started to laugh at me. He really laughed out loud. And everyone was looking to me. He insulted me, insulted me, making fun of me in front of everyone out loud. He pulled away from me and he continued to make fun of me, slapping on his, on his uh, on knees and pointing to me and making fun of me, humiliating me. Can you imagine how I was feeling? I was like that, now I was shrink like that, I was nothing. I was devastated, humiliated, I felt, I felt less than nothing. Why? Why do you think? Because of what he said? No. There will always situations that lead me to experience some feeling like that. I felt like that because I let that person and what he was saying define who I am. And I start and I began to believe those lies. I was losing sight of what God say about me. One of my employees who were working next to me said something to me. He could have told me, do not listen to him, he's stupid, he's an idiot. It's not correct to say that, to do something like that in front of everyone. But this is not what he said. You know what he said? He said, if only this man knew that he was talking to a son of the king of kings. He said that to my ear. If only this man knew that he was talking to a son of the king of the kings. He brought me back to who I am because of the gospel. He brought me back to what God says I am because of Christ. I am a son of the king of kings. I choose to believe God at that point. I am a children of the one who have power and authority over that man. My feeling immediately changed. He could have said anything to me. It didn't affect me anymore. It was slipping over me. There was an incredible love that came in me for this man. I came with a, a, a confident, no con- descendants, confident. I was living a inexplicable peace. I had done nothing for that. I just changed my way of thinking. You know, this man wanted to, me to believe that that was like this little cat. A good guy, very nice, but weak, fragile, a little bit stupid, who can be easily crushed. But actually, what God tells me is that I'm like a tiger. Not because of what I do, but because of what Jesus has done. Because of what I believe. Because I choose to believe God. So people sometimes say, oh, you're talking about positive thinking. 
No, I'm talking about positive faith. Positive thinking would say, I can, I'm able, I can make it, I got everything to do it. And that allows us to make a little bit longer, <laughs> to go a little bit longer with that. And we experience some kind of peace, some kind of joy, some kind of satisfaction. But positive faith says, I can, I'm able, I can make it because Jesus, by the power of the one who works in me. That makes all the difference. There's a continuation to that story in the restaurant. A few minutes later in the restaurant, this guy didn't go to the topless bar, but I was working in another part of the restaurant, and this man, the owner, came to me. But he came to me like Nicodemus, looking around, if nobody was looking to him, and he came to me, and he said, Patrice, the little book you were talking about, can you get me one? I said, wow. I told, him, I told him, yes, for sure, I have one in my car for you. This man who has been so successful, who looks so above everything, had a void in his heart that needs to be fulfilled. And only Jesus can do that. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. The church is the bearer of this message of hope, the greatest message of love and hope on earth. This message is at the heart of a healthy church. Finish with that. No Philippians say, work for your salvation. That doesn't mean that we have to work to gain salvation. It means we have to learn to identify those false saviors in our life and replace the thinking we got to replace them But what God is saying. That doesn't mean that we won't go through suffering sometime or have moments of sadness, but there will be a power and a confidence that will be developed in us that will take us through any situation. Let me pray. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for your love. Thank you for your deep love for us. Thank you because you don't, didn't let us with our own false hope, false savior. But you did everything to show us how much you love me, how much you love everyone who listening or listening now to that. And Lord, God, we want to thank you for Jesus that came. And we want this life that it's in him. We want to be restored in our relationship with you. Help us to identify those false saviors in our life and have the, the reflex to push them away and bring all our thought captive, restrict them and bring them to what you're saying and trust you, only you. Put our faith in only what you says. Lord, if there's some people here who don't know you yet and the one who will listen in the future to that, I encourage you to put, make this step, recognizing that you cannot live. You have been wired uh, to be in relationship with God, and you cannot live without this relationship, like you cannot live without air, water, or food. Just God wants you. He wants you too, so much. He showed you that at the cross, how much he loves you, where he's ready to go, up to where, giving his own life. Come to him and just say, Lord, I want you. I want to learn to follow you. I want to learn to put my trust on you. If you have made those choices recently or 20, 40, 50 years ago, we're always facing some situation in our life that we, we have the tendency to go back to this, this yoke of our false savior.
learn to recognize them, and go back to Christ. We want always to come back to John 3.16. So thank you, Lord, for your love and, and this, to, give, to have given Jesus to us. Amen.